There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. one small step for man. People have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian Jean Lee and special guest Allison Lysaga investigate Orson Welles in the War of the Worlds. On October 30th, 1938, Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air presented a radio play of War of the Worlds, presenting a story of Martians landing in Grover Mills, New Jersey. According to subsequent analysis, one out of every 12 listeners panicked and took the show as reality, stocking up on weapons and heading for the hills. Was this hoax intended to incite panic, or did the boy wonder Orson Welles simply discover that he didn't know his own power? Joining me to investigate the War of the Worlds radio broadcast are civilian investigator Eugene Froelich O'Neill. Hello. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Paul Misson Wines. <laughs> I'm historian Brian. Oh, that was terrible. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. So today, uh, after after a wildly successful show last week, we have invited Allison back to talk to us about the War of the World. So please welcome Allison Lysinga from MyFilmHabit.com. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome back, Allison. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. How was your week since we last talked to you? Oh, I put I put the hours in. I did all kinds of really hard lawyering. You know, I did all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Nothing happened in this past week. Uh, no, no significant world events that we should really remark on. Uh, the, the, there was the robot singularity that that that, that happened, but uh, we, uh, we we quashed it and uh, yeah. we're back to normal. Yeah, it happened. Didn't really yeah. make the news. Nah, you know. I'm I am I am half robot now, though. As we all are, as we all are. Instead of full robot, like you used to be. You know, we 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 have <laughs> we all have beautiful new robot bodies, uh, but uh, we're all the same inside. Yeah, so I think I think that was a, that was probably a pretty successful week to uh, to take off and, and take a little break so we can get that shit done. Yeah, you know, has to be done. Has to be done. Right. So this episode is going to be Orson Welles heavy, which just like Orson Welles, <laughs> it's going to be as heavy. <laughs> exactly. He, he was a very be, he was a heavy he was a heavy man. He was. It's going to be Orson Welles light. Orson Welles heavy. Because uh, <laughs> we're talking, we're talking about the 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 period of Orson Welles's life, where he was uh, had ravishing good looks and uh, great hairdo, and was at the height of his powers, uh, or or approaching them. He was so young, youthful uh, he, and he was, svelte. He was uh, in in the in the story that we're going to be talking about in the War of the Worlds. Orson Welles was twenty two. Yeah. Um, which, Double deuce, which is just like just embarrassing for every everyone else to have this kind of power at such a young age. Basically, every um, year of my life, I feel more and more horrible of, about myself based on what Orson Welles has had accomplished <laughs> Lee, at whatever you point were like in life. Twenty what seven twenty eight until you had your fir- incited your first national panic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you you you. You had to wait until you were 29 to even get your own podcast. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until then that I infuriated William Randolph Hearst, and he tried to destroy every copy of my podcast. <laughs> yeah, luckily, Inside Jobs is a nickname for his mistress's clit. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, 
the, so the one thing that I always tell people that like if you really want to feel sad about how how old you are is that um, George Harrison was 27 when the Beatles ended. Uh, so he had already experienced all of that Beatlemania and participated on all those albums by the time he was 27. That's well, terrifying. I wasn't even born yet when the Beatles broke up, so <laughs> I'm not doing too bad either. <laughs> Man, wait, Gene, you're 81 yeah. or 80, 80. I'm 80 you're years 80, old. 81 years old. <laughs> no, you you were born in 1981. Yes, hence all of my usernames and 81. Yeah, I'm not on Xbox. Or Hotmail. Oh. <laughs> or GeoCities. Or um, AOL Hometown. I'll bring it back to that. Yeah. All those jokes. All those jokes that we made last week are still ringing true today. Ah, so long ago. Um, but uh, but yes, Orson Welles. Orson Welles is a very interesting story because he was one of these uh, one of these guys who burned brightly and then had a very steady decline. Although, so he uh, went he uh, did, he full hit... Miley Cyrus. <laughs> he was the anti Regis yeah. Philbin. <laughs> He was just burned. He's just forever. Who's who's been knocking him out of the parks every day of his life? He's still making us Um, laugh today. But Orson Welles, Orson Welles, has a a kind of sad beginning story because he was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. His everything about this dude is sad, but but cool at the same time. Yeah, his father left him at a young age, and he became obsessed with magic and painting. That's always that's always their downfall: being obsessed with magic. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those few guys who's like who was into magic and still managed to be cool. Like that scene in Casino Royale where he's just like sitting at a table doing magic tricks, and Daniel Craig is looking at him like, "What the fuck." He was he was interested in magic. He was interested in the theater. And uh, by the time he was fifteen, he was an orphan. Both his mother and father were dead, and he kind of took it upon himself, you know, studying in this um, a boys' school n- near Chicago. He kind of took it upon himself to become this, you know, Shakespearean master. Shakespearean way. master. He moved to Ireland and he started performing in Shakespeare plays. Uh, he convinced on, people on the, he was this the great stage. American actor. He, yeah, but he was this great American actor. And so, like, he, he had always been very smart. He was reading and writing um, about Shakespeare from the age of, like, five. Uh, as, as Lee mentioned, he was into magic and he was into all sorts of performative um, types of things. Performing magic in the, the Gathering, too. Yeah, he was, he was in Magic the Gathering, Netrunner. He played a lot of Settlers of Catan. He uh, he was really good if uh, at mafia. So essentially, just any parlor game, he could really knock it out of the park. Um, All the real sexy charades. Games. Yeah, he wanted to be a painter originally. Like uh, the, the film F is for fake or F for fake. F for he tells fake. a lot F about. Yeah, dial F for murder. He tells a lot about his childhood. Some of it is probably apocryphal given the nature of the film. But uh, if you kind of want some some insight into his personality, you should definitely check out that movie. I will be checking out that movie. I definitely Great. will. That is know. definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, except, for, except for it is a film. As, as Oh, that's right. That's right. M is for film. film. Yeah, it says in the movie. Film. It is not M is for movie. <laughs> <laughs> F is Dial for, M for movie. F is for fake film. Um, 
so yeah, he 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 got this start and was burning brightly. And after his his uh, his stay in Ireland, after his stay in Ireland, he moved back to the United States. Teamed up with John Houseman, right? The famous um, showman. Yeah, famous the, famous theater performer. So in the 1930s, with the Great Depression and the uh, ascendancy to the presidency of FDR, we had the New Deal, and the New Deal was kind of all these make involved a lot of make work programs. Like so the you had, um, yeah, you had the 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 Works Project Administration, which was involved in a lot of. Uh, uh, Essentially, essentially government subsidies for art. And so if you go around the country, I believe, I think I heard something recently that a lot of them have been taken down at this point. But if you go around mm-hmm. the country, a lot of old post offices will have yeah. murals painted on them or in them. And those are a, a, proj- a product of the fact that the WPA hired artists to go to the post offices and paint murals. And the murals are often... On some sort of American theme, freedom, yeah. liberty, uh, racism, freedom, freedom of speech, racism, uh, polio. Uh, yeah. So so it's all, all sorts of those kinds of things. And, and they this is what they did. They hired playwrights. They hired authors. They hired artists and sculptors to do art, but in the service of, um, yeah. you know, mu- municipal works or community works or even government uh, actions. So so Orson, Orson Welles and John Hausman were involved in the WPA and they were working um, for the theater aspect. So they the, were, the federal theater project, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they were working in uh, Broadway and they're producing the Voodoo Macbeth, very cutting edge and in somewhat avant garde plays that really, you know, because of Orson Welles' association with them, uh, were already sensations. But then they would do things like have a version of Macbeth with an all-black cast reset in Haiti. Oh. With all voodoo Ooh. aspects and all, all of the witches, the wayward sisters were all uh, kind of, like voodoo priestesses. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah, you can see footage of it online, Allison. You should check Ooh, it out. Um, there's no extant version of the whole play. But uh, it looks really exciting. And, you know, basically they they gave Hausman and Wells this, you know, um, African-American theater group and and no one really knew what to do with them. And so, you know, Wells was like, you know, decided to do this voodoo Macbeth and uh, it's super cool. And then they did like an all puppet Faustus or something. Um, Puppets. The really the really cool one is um, because this is the 1930s mind. Um, there was a Julius Caesar that was done in like a futurist style. So it looks all fascist and all of the, yeah, all of the, all of the, um, assassins and Julius Caesar take on these very fascist, like jackboots, um, and military design is the lighting and the sets are all very minimalist, but sort of neo-fascist or fascist rather. There's a lot of awesome photographs of it online. Um, And there's also that movie, me and Orson Welles, that's about it. A lot of these things weren't filmed. So you have to rely on the photos. But Uh, me and Orson Welles actually is a horrible movie, but it does a a good job of recreating um, that production. And then uh, also the film um, cradle will rock also as a good portrayal of this whole era. Yeah, Cradle Will Rock is kind of a good good point to start because Orson Welles was in it 
in working in the theater because he loved the theater and he was funded by in part by the government but he also was a showman and he wanted to be a celebrity so he was also working on the radio and he would the shadow well yeah he was the voice of the shadow which uh you might remember from the glory allison you probably oh yeah i remember it from the trashiest alec baldwin movie available on uh on on vhs that was a delight (laughs) that was a delight it's no the getaway, but it's pretty pretty trashy. That would have been super cool if Orson Welles had been alive at that time. And played that that filled me through that my high school that years. That was a, ugh, I loved that movie in high school. Now Baldwin has kind of gone the way of Orson, where he's like, he was a super handsome man, and now, who played the shadow, and now he's a rather rotund he's bul- comedic he's actor. He's bulking out, he's bulking out and going quite insane, yes. Yes. Maybe he'll do the voice of a planet-eating thing in the next Transformers. One can only hope. Maybe he'll do the voice of a guy telling you to buy a credit card. The French uh, so have a yeah, great legacy of, of Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> on carries on this tradition of transforming robots. What, which, you, which Transformer did Orson Welles play? Was he Unicron? It's like this big thing that that eats planets. It's like a big planet that eats stuff or something like that. Mm. Well, that was, we're not yet to that part of the story uh, okay. of, of Orson Welles. I think pregnant women can relate to that transformer. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, Boo. Yeah, Boo. No golf claps for that one. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> take that out. That this is horribly offensive. <laughs> take, take... No, delightfully offensive. Yeah. <laughs> Keep take, it in. Take, everybody. No Everybody. golf laughs at all for that. No, but keep my booze though. Yeah, just have a, just have you going us through golf shows. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I think it's a nice new feature. I think it's a nice new feature. I'll just be rejecting or accepting all of your terrible, terrible uh, jokes, what? dad jokes. Dang. We are. Yeah, no, like that's a that's childless a... dad. No. Well, you've got all those animals. We're, you know, you got all those animals. Yeah, taking we're. Your we're we're basically dads whose daughters only talk to us on our birthdays because they feel sorry for us. And on Easter's and Christmas. Well, not in Lee's case. <laughs> oh, that's cool. uh, yeah, Jew Christmas. Uh, Pesach and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Rosh Hashanah. Right, when we're eating Christian babies and celebrating Naturally. our money god. Yeah. Uh, so um, Orson Welles gained a lot of fame from the radio because he was the voice of the shadow. And he was, you know... An announcer on other things. He had been a reporter in his earlier life. Earlier life. We're talking about a career that is, he's 22 and he's been doing this for seven years oh since he was 15. Goodness. He was doing so much stuff at the time that he would literally take an ambulance around town to get to his, um, uh, you know, next, next gig, basically. In fact, if you look up Orson Welsing on, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Urban Dictionary. It basically means to common means to drive terribly, um, because he used to commandeer ambulances to do as such. He's a young man on the go. He would uh, he would you know rehearse all morning, and then he would take the ambulance over to the radio station and record the shadow or any of his other um, radio uh, jobs, and then he would go to like a fancy restaurant and have a crazy dinner that was like two steaks, yeah. two full baked potatoes, an entire bottle of rum and a an entire pineapple. <laughs> and then a crazy drunken adventure. It's just like the sounds like the best life possible. <laughs> and then he would go back to the theater and rehearse all night. Um 
And eventually he got so popular that he was uh, he was funded to get together a, 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 a group of actors known as the Mercury Players. And the Mercury Players were allowed to go on they the all had mercury poisoning. Yeah, they were they were like Jeremy Piven. They ate so much sushi that they got mercury <laughs> poison and had to quit uh, the latest. Um, what's his name? Play. Episode of Douchebags. Yeah. Hollywood Douchebags. Hollywood Douchebags. Um, so Orson Welles and the Mercury Players, who are people like uh, Agnes Moorhead, which is the greatest last name in all of Hollywood acting, uh, and Joseph Cotton. Um, yes, who is in a lot of Orson Welles' films, including uh, Citizen Kane. But this was obviously before his filmmaking days. Yeah, this is before the filmmaking days because they were only 22. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, Joseph Cotton starred in Orson Welles' first movie that we only recently learned about, Too Much Johnson. Yes. Uh, so there's that. The The Mercury players were in charge of doing radio adaptations and radio plays on the radio, like on 8 p at 8 p.m. for like a half hour they would do you and know, you can or, listen to a lot of them they would do like vanity fair or um yeah. parts of darkness stuff like that or even like uh, the magnificent ambersons which uh which are later was later. a movie yeah um and so it got to the point where they were like oh we have this halloween episode coming up uh on october 30th 1938 and two of the uh writers for the group um Anne Froelich and Howard Koch were looking around trying to figure out something to write, and they found War of the Worlds, which is set in 18. Moon, Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know. Is that your butt, dude? It's like a big rig going by. Yeah, it's just the idea of fun that happens on Linden Street. Um, but, uh, But yeah, no, they found War of the Worlds, and they found it actually kind of boring. They thought it was a really slow-moving and not very exciting story uh, set in 1898 in England about an, a Martian invasion that plays out across the English countryside until the Martians are killed by Earth uh, germs. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, at, at this point, the book is 115 years old. Yeah, if you want a good version of the it. Steven Spielberg film yet oh god that movie's horrible but you know what is awesome is the second edition of league of extraordinary gentlemen where it talks yeah. about how alan quartermain and uh dr jekyll and uh nina uh, nina parker yeah Harker. take down uh the aliens it's it's amazing with mr hyde um Captain yeah you Emo. should check that out it's really cool so anyway um, um the, the, the tom cruise version is uh, pretty delightful <laughs> <laughs> Who can forget him? Is that who? Who plays his son? Is it Anton oh, Yelchin know. or somebody no, like that? No, 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 no. Just some meathead. <laughs> Shit. I don't know. Um, it's meathead from all oh, the family. Oh, Anton Yelchin plays Mel Gibson's son in that bunny movie. Oh. Yeah. And, oh, the uh, Beaver, the Beaver movie. He's also Chekhov. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's delightful. Victor, Victor. Probably <laughs> the best. God. Probably the best character in that film. Because he's not played by the wrong race. <laughs> Shit. Uh. That's uh, that's that's Lee's current problem with Star Trek. 
So they decided to do. They decided to take war. Of, they decided to take the War of the World story and update it to the present era. That is 1938. And so, if you consider that 1938 is about you know five years after January 30th, 1933, <laughs> and so it's it's definitely in a period of fear in Europe. Um, the Hindenburg disaster was roughly one year prior to uh, the War of the Worlds broadcast. It was a post Hindenburg world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh although although our do nothing Congress was still living in a pre Hindenburg world. Um Yeah. They hadn't seen that movie with George C. Scott yet. So how much actually, <laughs> how much actually had to be updated then? What, uh, what what do you oh um how much information they had to change, actually had to be updated, yeah. Yeah, they had to they had to change telegraph oh, to uh telephone. I see. They had to turn uh, illegal alien to space alien. <laughs> you guys are the worst. <laughs> uh, oh, so, man. It's great to have an uh, actual conscious, you know, conscience on this show. It's wonderful. Yeah, you know, you know. What they, what, what they actually decided to do was to take the book, which is told in the first person of just some dude, and they were adapting it for the radio. They were going to make it like an actual radio program. Mm-hmm. And so Moulton once described it as uh, radio verite. Yes, that is that is a good way to to describe it. It is done in in such a way that they're like, okay, we're now going to have this orchestra playing for you, and then the orchestra plays for an excruciatingly long time, as they do, like like minutes, and then they break in and they're like, sorry to interrupt this program, but we've just had a report of explosions on Mars. Anyway, back to the orchestra. And they timed that out at the same time that other shows, more popular shows, had their commercial or would go to a musical guest. Um, so basically, back in the day, a lot of the, the comedic shows were a lot like SNL in that they would have like comedy sequences and then some bullshit musical guests and everyone would change the channel. So they timed out the parts where they interrupt the programming to report um, at the times that they knew people were switching from the other programs uh, to different stuff. So they figured that people would be like, oh, the musical guests on, I hate Miley Cyrus. They'd switch it to the next channel, and then they'd hear that aliens are invading and not know the context that they sort of introduced it as a Halloween spoof episode and, and freak out. And a lot of people actually didn't even hear the alien stuff. They just thought that there was an attack or a war, and they thought it might be the Germans. Um, yeah, the, the, um, if you, li- if you go back and find an actual recording of the, of the, of the broadcast, which are available, you could just go on YouTube. It's very easy. Uh, it seems impossible to believe that anyone would mistake it for being real because they say right at the top of the show, this is Mercury theater players with war of the worlds, their radio yeah. adaptation, blah, blah, blah. But then at about five minutes into the program, as Lee mentioned, the most popular radio show uh, cut to uh, a singing group that was terrible. And so people switched, you know, got up if they weren't lazy, they mm-hmm. got up to their radios and they switched the dial and they might come in and hear this broadcast of like, oh, there's been explosions on Mars. And then <laughs> uh, and then a couple of minutes later, it's like, oh, there have been ex- explosions in New Jersey. Oh, there have been reports of a, a capsule of some sort in New Jersey. And so then they break in and they're just like, okay, we're going to the news. This is a, a, a proper news bulletin. And they're like, we're going to our, our roving reporter out in New Jersey at Grover's Mill. Mm-hmm. And they cut to this guy and it's a, it's a very Hindenburg-esque 
kind of scenario yeah. where this guy is he played them the Hindenburg um uh, reports actually played it to the Mercury Theater cast. Wells did so that they could he could kind of get across the type of tone and urgency he was going for in their performances. Right, exactly. And so and so you have this guy. He's kind of like, yes, there's some sort of capsule. Uh, oh, it seems like there's something. Something is extruding out, and it's 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 spraying, and then it just sort of cuts out, and it cuts out for an achingly long period of time. Before they finally have, I believe it's Orson Welles himself, come back on and he's like, we're sorry, something has gone wrong technically with our our, uh, reporter out there. And then they cut to another reporter who's elsewhere looking at a different capsule. And then that capsule starts spraying poison gas everywhere. And that reporter suddenly, you know, he also cuts out. And (laughs) it's... For for the you know it sounds absurd to say like oh there was a panic because a radio show, uh, and if you do listen to the recording, um, the ancient the ancient the old recording uh, <laughs> of the of the broadcast it's recorded into slabs I, of granite. I think it qualifies. It qualifies. So radio was like the podcasting of the thirties. <laughs> for you kids out there, it was as irrelevant. Um, but no, it's obvious that it's like eight people in a very small room trying their best to make sound effects to sound like all of these locations. Um, (laughs) but, um, but you know, when these people are dying and there's just screams in the background, it's, you know, it's not very scary, especially if you're in on it. But for all of those people who didn't know what was going on and didn't know that it was a, uh, just a, a, a fictional radio play, um, they say that approximately one out of every 12 people who heard it uh, thought it could be real. So all the grandmas and grandpas, uh, the movie... all the grandmas and grandpas. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the, all the grandmas and grandpas, all the um, genes families. Um, because in the movie, uh, in the movie radio days, they, they portray a sequence in which uh, one of the Woody Allen film where one of the characters is on a, uh, a date with this guy in a car and the guy like, blips out and gets out of the car and runs away and that's kind of like the popular you know myth of how people behaved while listening to this show um yeah but but it seems like it was very you know so the, so a lot of people were calling into other news uh services and they were calling into the um the radio station that was playing the the broadcast and all these people that were panicking were jamming reporting it the phone like lines live. yeah and so people were having difficulty finding out that no this isn't real yeah. this is just a radio play they but, missed the part where jimmy kimmel walked in with a fire extinguisher and revealed that it had all been a hoax are there <laughs> were there any reports of anyone going full apocalypse and like shutting down their barns with shotguns and there is a report of a guy who used his shoe money to get away um, and he later like sued the radio station. A bunch of people sued the radio station, and they denied all of the suits, and no one got any money. Although Orson Welles demanded that they pay the guy for a new pair of shoes. That's adorable. I know Orson Welles is so great. Classy. I would let him eat. He's me. a class act. He's a classy man trying to terrify people into thinking that aliens are coming. Yeah. What's weird? What's weird also, if you listen to the old broadcast, is that yes, it begins. This is a radio play. And then like 15 minutes in, there's a commercial. Like they didn't a, have commercials. They were an unsponsored show, which is hilarious. Uh, no, no, no. So they're it, fake commercials. Yeah. And, 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 but it's like obvious that it is not real. Like they, yeah. they are saying you're listening to our war of the worlds. Um, 
uh, broadcast where it's a recording of this novel is the dramatization of this novel. Um, but you know, the people that were panicking or supposedly panicking shut off their radios because they had to, you know, grab their shotguns and go out and look for aliens. So they didn't realize that it was a hoax, but that, that is where it gets to the point of, and, and Lee you sort of touched on this with Orson Welles reaction of to what degree was this actually, a panic and yeah. to what degree do we remember it as being more of a thing in the, in this sort of cultural memory? Well, the uh, conspiracy we theory is that the newspapers were really um, afraid that, that radio was going to kind of edge them out of their, um, their industry, which is a fear that obviously uh, continues to this day that, you know, the, the internet, I guess now is going to get rid of the newspaper so that they, nah, they pl- Jeff, Jeff Bezos is going to handle everything. <laughs> oh, from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to buy this podcast next actually. So the newspapers reportedly played up the panic so that they could make radio look bad. Finally. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the conspiracy theory, but Allison, to your question, yes. did people actually panic in Mexico? This other guy later tried to do the same thing, did kind of like a Mexican version of Didn't it. Didn't work out. Um, well, people started freaking out, and then they found out it was fake, and then they started freaking out more and started rioting to the point where I think did the they guy burned down the radio who- studio. They well they did they they didn't burn it down but they attacked the radio. That's studio. amazing. That's amazing. And there was like this huge riot. And then I believe the man who produced the show or started it or something. I believe his like his girlfriend and maybe his son were murdered in the riot. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Things get a little more exciting in Mexico. Yeah. Man, the Mexican version of everything is always crazier. Yeah. Did, did you know, by the way, you're you're a film person. This is a great fact that when they were making the movie Dracula, the Bela Lugosi version, they had a Spanish language uh, version of the cast on set. And after they would film every scene, the, the Mexican versions would come on the set and make a Mexican version of Dracula. That's the and it exists out best there. Best thing I've ever good. heard. <laughs> why don't they do that with all? Why don't they do <laughs> that with great? all the movies? I know. How cool would it be if there was just like a Mexican Casablanca there, is, or a Mexican? Is there, not, is there not one? Is there not? I mean, I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's about a bunch of people uh, trying to get out of America. <laughs> oh, no. Um, or like a Mexican Transformers, like a Mexican. Oh, a Mexican Terminator. That would be great. I think I saw the Chinese version of Transformer. I think I, saw, I think I saw that. Oh, yeah, really? And a picture of Charlie Sheen on the cover. Yeah. It's <laughs> good looking. In the in the Mexican version of Terminator, instead of saying hasta la vista, he just says see ya. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to see uh, the Mexican version of the movie Traffic. I would like to see that. Is I think it's originally a Danish movie about drug trafficking in Europe. Oh yeah, is it Nicholas Winding Refn? No, yeah. that's the Pusher trilogy. Oh man, that's Mexican Jurassic Park. Oh, my oh, oh, that's, oh my <laughs> goodness, that would be the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, so Mexican after, Back to the Future, after Mexican after Ghostbusters, Mexican Death Till Dawn. Oh my! God. <laughs> oh my gosh! That would be the best. Mexican El Mariachi. <laughs> Mexican Zimmerman Telegram episode of Inside Job. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a bunch of Spanish speaking people that just hang out in our apartments and record the show in Spanish afterwards. It's the same thing, but just like really like really blonde dye jobs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Mexican uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I like it. I like it. 
Um, which is uh, which is just a remake of Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> it goes it goes all the way around. Um, actually, so I don't mean to to correct you, Lee. Well, I do. I don't mean to embarrass you. It, 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 well, I just you looked it up. Too. It was in. It, it was in Ecuador that this happened, and seven people. Oh no, fuck! I'm racist. Oh. <laughs> oh, they're all you're, the you're same racist. country. Oh, 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 anyway. wait. For shame. There, oh. there we go. There we go. Good oh, callback. Uh, yeah, and seven all of our people died. and Mexican fans are going to be so upset with me. You'll hear about it. You'll, you'll get some emails about uh, it. But I don't I speak c- Spanish, so I don't know. I won't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Hi, Caramba. Uh, yeah, his girlfriend and his nephew died in, in, in uh, out of se- yeah. I know. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, that that is that is a big worry or, or a big uh, concern, as as Lee said. Were people overreacting, or was that a newspaper conspiracy? Like, w- was there an actual panic, or was it kind of overblown? Was it a couple of people? And then the newspapers built it up into more of what it was. Can and that it be our inside like... job decision for the week? Yeah. So, Lee, do you think it was an inside job? Um, yeah, probably. I don't have any facts to base that on, but uh, yeah. Okay. And Gene, what do you think? Uh, Lee said yes, right? Yep. So I'm yeah. going to say no. Just You're I... going to say it was just a, a coincidence that people panicked? I think it was just... I mean, people... Since, like, it's been scientifically proven that people panic at regular intervals, and this just happened to be the most proximate thing to that panic, correlation does not indicate causation. No. People love panicking. So what do you, what do you think was actually caught? What do you think was actually causing the panic? I don't know. What were some other things that happened around that time? Mexican Dracula. Probably. (laughs) I'm going to go with Mexican Dracula. Yeah, I'll I'll go with that, too. (laughs) I like uh, so, so wait, Allison, you're saying it was the Mexican Dracula? Yeah, Mexican Dracula. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? El Dracula. Yeah, it would be El La Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, say, I'm, I'm gonna say it was the New Jersey Devil. Um, that guy was causing some problems. <laughs> okay. uh, that guy was causing some problems out in Grover. Have you been Mill. watching Comic Book Men on AMC again? I've been watching uh, the Mothman conspiracy. Oh, okay. Um, oh, man. There is a real uh, Orson Welles conspiracy from Hearst to set up uh, Orson Welles uh, after the, the West Coast premiere of uh, Citizen Kane. You guys ever heard of that story? Well, let me just say, I don't think that the War of the Worlds broadcast was an inside yeah, job. I think it was, they thought it would be fun and it got out of hand. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I was talking about the newspaper thing. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, I don't think that's true. I think it's just like one of those other things where the cultural memory of the time uh, was warped because there wasn't, uh, you know, media wasn't as prevalent yeah. as as it has become. World and War so, Two is is very similar. People remember this big war. Millions of people died. A bunch of people went overseas. Uh, horrible human atrocities, uh, war crimes. But uh, really, it was jobs. just a radio show. Just a radio show. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what what was the conspiracy about Hearst, Lee? Oh, okay. So um, you know, famously, sit after um, 
this show came out, Orson Welles like was catapulted to, you know, just huge fame. And he, he got the most exclusive motion picture deal in the history of the industry. Um, and this kid who had never really which, directed, which was seven film. years old at that point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was as old as Orson Welles. <laughs> and uh, so we made this picture that's based on Hearst's, um, you know, mistress's vagina or something. And, um, <laughs> So he's doing the West Coast premiere of the film uh, in San Francisco. And as a sort of F you to Hearst, he's staying at Hearst's hotel um, at that time. And, um, you know, according to myth, he meets up with um, uh, Hearst in the elevator and, you know, you know, says, hello, my name is Mr. Wells. I'm premiering a film tonight. If you would love to like to come, I'd be happy to give you uh, tickets, Mr. Hurst. And, you know, Hurst apparently says nothing and storms out of the elevator. And according to, um, you know, apocryphal reports, um, uh, Orson Wells apparently yelled out, Charles Foster Kane would have come. Um, so later that night, <laughs> since Hurst. Oh, you've never heard that and story? And then Hurst short sheeted his bed in the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> So that's one tuck and one no tuck. <laughs> right. Well, basically what yes. he did is he put a photographer and a um and a underage like girl in the room so that when Orson Welles came back to the hotel, he would get this picture taken with an with an underage girl. So, um as they would say, um you provide the underage prostitute, I'll provide the war of the worlds. <laughs> Bravo! Good, the great t- wrapping it all together. That's all golf clap. Um, well, I, I I would like to say uh, for the listeners out there, I don't even know if I'll include this announcement in the final show, but uh, we have been struggling to hear each other uh, over our shaky internet uh, during this entire episode. So if it sounds a little wonky, I apologize. That is the reason. But I really want to thank Alice. We're using for- Ecuadorian Comcast. That's why. <laughs> Mexican Dracula is... Uh, Comcastador, I believe is what it's called. Yeah. But I really want to thank Allison for coming back after an entire week away. Oh, well, thank Uh, you, gentlemen. Yes, it's my pleasure to be back. Yeah, you're you're super fun. Thanks for being on the show. It's good to have a a person who is, uh, I don't know, has morals, a conscience, conscience rather, um, uh, uh, fans, yeah. I'm sorry. The internet just cut back, cut out. I lost. Yeah, I, I, I lost just, I, all of those compliments. You're gonna have to say all the compliments again. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I, I assume you were saying horrible things, Lee. So I'll just have to <laughs> yes. cut them out later. <laughs> Brian's just been beeping out everything we're saying, and that's why you can't hear us. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It's been a real struggle on our end, listeners. I apologize if it sounds insane. When we're I'm sure it's been a horrible struggle on their end to listen to 27 episodes of this bullshit, too, Brian. Lee, having no idea what you just said, I agree completely. <laughs> I, dis- uh, I disagree. But, uh, oh, okay. oh, well. Oh, I'm sorry. That's... Allison, yes, you. I'm glad that you listen to the show. I think that that's great. It's good to know that uh, uh, girls listen to this show yes. or uh, women listen yes. to the show. Um, and, um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you Thank guys you. are delightful and hilarious and charming. Thank you very much. And and if you want to be as great a fan as Allison, you can go to our iTunes uh, page and give us a rating. We prefer the five-star variety because it helps out more than not. I endorse them wholeheartedly. Um, Yes, Allison endorses us, and she has a website. I do. Go bug John Cusack. (laughs) Yeah, 
Bug John Cusack, maybe Ed Asner as well. Roseanne is also available. Um, she's talent. available for what? She's fucking insane and needs to listen to our show. Don't get a hold of the weird Quaid because he'll think you're trying to murder him. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> okay, Abby Abby Martin probably would like the show. A mm-hmm. um, lot of people out there, but uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always uh, go to our website insidejobscast.com. You can tweet at us at insidejobscast, email insidejobscast at gmail dot com, or you can call our hotline. We don't have a lot of people calling the hotline these days. Four one three two two five nineteen sixty three. This is our special Halloween spooktacular, so I hope you enjoyed uh, our Halloween episode. I hope by the time this episode gets released. I think it will be my birthday, so I hope it wasn't as sad as I'm thinking it will be. Can you add in uh, lots of theremin sound effects to this episode? Yeah, I'll, do, I'll be adding a lot of space sound effects. All the parts where it's just weird and you can't hear what we're saying, just add Victor Theremin playing. The I, theremin. I'll, I'll, add, I'll just play good vibrations. Oh, we should do a whole episode about how Victor Theremin was sent on a, um, uh, a Russian communist uh, tour of goodwill to go around the, the world showing how great Russia was and then defected hmm. to America because he hated Russia. Wow, that sounds pretty sweet, whatever it is you said. <laughs> uh, I just made theremin sound effects. Uh, but but yes, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, we will be back next week, and hopefully the internet will be better. Uh, until then, follow the money. The French Americans in Champagne Parmesan carries on this tradition of Americans with their new wine from their California wineries. Tradition of the French Americans.